Welcome to Replant Boot Camp, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters. With your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart, here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Stick around to the end of the podcast for a special offer from 180 for Replant Bootcamp podcast listeners only. Yeah, this is going to be fun. All right, here we go. Episode three. So this is a fun segment that Bob and I have come up with. We're calling Stupid Stuff We Did and Survived. Yes. I think this is probably going to be my favorite regular recurring episode theme of the entire Replant podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so these you'll see yeah these you'll see every once in a while it'll just be us telling you stories of stupid things we did and somehow didn't get fired um, don't do these things yes. yes do not do this at home let you learn from our mistakes do not touch the hot stove let us tell you about oh, how we did it yeah so i think you know one of the things we need to be honest is like we are regular replant guys that are in the trenches and yeah. we do stupid things regularly yes and and our goal is to do less stupid things. Yes. <laughs> well, and we would love for you to not repeat our stupid mistakes. Yeah. Uh, so listen to the episode, laugh at us and with us, and then don't do what we did. I think maybe we need a like a, an award. You know, <laughs> guys can submit stupid stuff they've done, and when we're doing an ep- these episodes, we can acknowledge, hey, here's here's a stupid story from the you know. Oh, that's good. World. So if you if you've done something stupid and survived, yes. Tell us, if you've done something stupid and not survived, send us your resume. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes, I would yeah. love to hear other people's stories. That would be great. All right. So, Jimbo, you're going to lead out in this episode and tell us uh, one of the stupid things you did and survived. So get us started. So one of the first things that you think about when you go into a replant is the facilities. I remember our first Sunday walking into the facilities and my son looking at me and saying, this place smells like old people. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and so sure enough, there were some old people around that heard him say that. Oh, no, they heard him. Him. Oh, you're dying inside already. But I mean, he wasn't wrong, right? Like it, it did smell like old people. We're walking in the hallway. The hallway carpet is this old blue. It's not shag. It's this old real thin blue carpet that is literally duct taped. I'm, I'm talking like eight foot of duct tape down the hallway. Wow. Now, one of the things you have to understand about my history and my DNA is my mom is an artist, an interior decorator. I grew up flipping houses. We never lived in a house very long. And wow. I, grew up, I grew up changing floors and building stuff. I mean, my eye is trained to immediately walk in and, and notice all the things that need to be updated on a facility. And my bachelor's degree is actually in theatrical design and construction. And so I got a whole degree in building imaginary stuff. <laughs> I, I walk in and I can immediately identify here are things that have got to change, maybe even more than a lot of replanters. But anytime you walk into a dying church, you almost always see and notice those facilities things. And so for me, when things got updated, it always created a sense of excitement and energy. I had what I thought was the most brilliant church replanting strategy ever. My plan Every Sunday when you came, something that you had no idea it would be a surprise, something would be updated. Every oh. single Sunday. Are you serious? Oh, every Sunday. Man, I so, worked so hard. <laughs> so, like, I'm just thinking, what if you had blind parishioners or congregants? And you, like, <laughs> are you moving furniture and they're knocking into it? Are you... <laughs> Oh, yeah. swapping Sunday school rooms. Like, what are you doing? 
Oh man, we're so I'm I'm replacing carpet, I'm painting walls, I'm fixing holes and things, I'm replacing furniture. There's man, there's so many so many moments in this process where man, I just wish somebody would have talked to me. My dear sweet church members, let me go on like this for two whole years. So I'm like I know in our in our facility there were a lot of things that need to be changed, but like two years worth of changes like can, can you take me through a couple of those changes up front that like you did like you okay we got to change this and that like what like what are we talking about here so we're changing carpet it's a large facility so i changed it just in the hallway first mm-hmm. and i kind of went room by room by room painting when when i got there it was dark paneling for the bottom half of the wall and then just white for the top Man, I called my mom as an interior decorator, FaceTimed her in the hallway and just said, what, what colors would you recommend here? And I would change the carpet, paint an area, do that. One of the most amazing moments that no one said anything, but I thought I saw a little bit of a senior adult lady's soul die when oh, no. there, was, there was this room that was supposed to be like the welcome center type area. It was this large room that was kind of cornered off badly and, and really needed some things to be done. There was a pew, I think must have been from the original church, that was the length of the room. And we're talking 30 foot, I think. I mean, this thing, this thing was massive. There was no way you're getting this thing out of the building. We just kept thinking, man, how do you get rid of a 30 foot pew? I think I see what's coming here. I think I'm a chainsaw. Oh, nuts. Do you guys not have like skill saws down there in Florida or what? No, man, we we do. But why why do that when you could use a chainsaw? And so sure enough, we've been working on this Welcome Center, me and some volunteers, for, for weeks. And nobody walks in when we're doing anything oh until gosh. we crank a chainsaw. We got a chainsaw going through the middle of this 30-foot pew. And <laughs> sure enough, this lady, these ladies walk in and their eyes just get huge. I mean, they're massive. They're scared to death. <laughs> so they don't say anything. So I assume that everything's fine. Everything's golden. Well, they're probably afraid that you had a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> so let me get this straight. You, you got a 30-foot pew in a welcome center area. Yep. And you think, oh, we need to cut that part. Let's get a chainsaw. And you do it on the day that the women, the old women have Bible study. I, I, I don't know why they were up there, man. Everybody on the <laughs> west side of Jacksonville has a key to our church. Okay. <laughs> and so they just come in, sure enough, right whenever we're chainsawing through this thing. Man, it was, it was, it was horrible. So, and then we would, so we'd update the welcome center, and then we'd pick other areas, and we'd just kind of update the furniture. In the hallway, there was this huge credenza. You've talked about like a church library full of photos. Yeah. We had the credenza. The credenza is just like stacked with photo albums and all these things. And and then there are two, not one, two massive bulletin boards above the credenza with stuff from the last 20 years still thumbtacked to Mm. those uh, bulletin boards. So I took both those bulletin boards down, moved the credenza. I was wise enough not to throw away the credenza. I moved the credenza into a dark corner of the new Welcome Center. Uh, it's, <laughs> and it's still there to this day. Once a senior adult lady finally sat down and, and just kindly, wisely, and I mean, with just gentleness, she said, Pastor, I feel like you're killing us with the death of a thousand cuts. Oh my goodness. She said, every single Sunday we come in here and something is different. It really hit me. I thought, yeah, yeah, that was the goal is every Sunday you'd come in and something would be different. And I thought when there's eight foot of duct tape, I made an assumption 
everyone's on the same page. Yeah. Everyone wants to see this duct tape not in the hallway. Yeah. And yes, everyone probably was on the same page, but I didn't bring anybody into the conversation because we had been adopted as a campus of another church. And one of the things they did before I even got there, so I didn't have to go through this fight, was they went ahead and changed this to an elder model. And at that point, really all the decisions were technically in the hands of the mother church that was overseeing us. I didn't have to put those sorts of things before a vote. And so I just assumed that meant I got to do things. Man, I, I learned just because they don't have to have a vote doesn't mean they don't get a voice. I learned the value of letting them be a part of the process and, and yeah. letting them be a part of the work even. So we started doing some work days, letting them be a part. But one of the ones that ended up just about killing my my job was it was actually a senior adult man when his wife passed away in her honor, wanted he donated some money and wanted to change the chandeliers in the sanctuary. Okay. The chandeliers were those huge, like brass looking, goldish look, but they're massive chandeliers. So he said, man, I've heard some people talking about maybe something just a little bit less obtrusive. And so he donated the money. Some people donated the labor. And so we changed from these huge brass gold chandeliers from the 80s to kind of just some modern, simple chandeliers from Home Depot. So we've got volunteers doing it. I'm thinking, man, this is great. We're doing something that's updating the sanctuary. It's not costing the church a dime in parts or labor. Of course, while volunteers, I'm not there. Volunteers are in the middle of changing out the chandeliers. Two of our original senior adult ladies walk in. And yet again, I had failed to communicate to the church what I was wanting to do. Mm. Uh, just did it on my own accord, got a volunteer team and started doing it. And man, I they were not as kind and gentle this time. Mm. Uh, I had already run those waters too much. And had the, had the chainsaw incident occurred before this? Was this the... <laughs> <laughs> like the chronology. Chainsaws <laughs> before this happens. Okay, so uh, so they're they they got a little energy built up then. Yeah, so yeah, so they they didn't say anything about the chainsaw. They didn't say anything about the carpet. But man, the chandeliers were the last straw. Oh gosh! One of my volunteers called and said, "Hey, just a heads up, some ladies just showed up." shoot us all out. There's a phone call coming your way. Oh, okay. And I thought, oh man. So at least I did get a little bit of a heads up that it was coming. And I prepared my heart. I prayed the Psalms of the day. I, <laughs> you girded your loins. <laughs> I girded my loins and I got ready, man. And I got the phone call and sure enough, man, they were so upset and they were letting me have it. And, and rightfully so, man. And so, man, they were saying, there's no way you can't convince me changing chandeliers is going to reach anybody for Jesus. Okay. And, and I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, changing yeah. the chandeliers isn't going to reach anybody for Jesus. And, yeah. and so, man, I had to, I kind of had to tuck my tail between my legs and apologize. And man, it became a bigger issue than I anticipated. As a matter of fact, what we did is we, we ended up still changing the chandeliers. I thought, you know, I'll offer and see if anybody wants the old chandeliers. And man, sure enough, I spent the next week and a half with a trailer I had to borrow. Uh, oh How big were they? <laughs> these things were huge. These okay. were huge. One <laughs> chandelier would go in the back of one truck. And, oh my uh, gosh. So, so we borrow a trailer from our mother church and we put chandeliers into the trailer and I mean, I'm delivering chandeliers just yeah. all over the place. And one lady took three. I have no idea what she did with three massive chandeliers. Uh -huh. um, and I ended up with one left over. And so I may or may not have put it on the front porch of the lady who was changing the chandeliers for me. <laughs> just as a reminder. All just right. As a reminder of, of what happened with the chandeliers. And so all the changes that happened needed to happen. 
But once I kind of learned my lesson, man, I remember being able just in a family meeting, sit in front of our people and just say, I mean, it was really simple and just say, Hey, look, here's some things I'm thinking. We've got some children now. We need an area for children to, to have some activities and, and we've got a choir room that we don't use. And, and so I just kind of cast a vision and talked about, man, I'd no. love to take that choir room and change it into a children's space. And I had no pushback whatsoever, man. They were a hundred percent on board with the vision, wanted to do it. Man, if I could go back to me back then, I would, man, I would just say, man, just involve them in the process. Yeah. Let them be a part of it and don't do it like that. Yeah. I, I remember two of our ladies in the church really helped me have perspective that I didn't have and needed to have. One of them's our, our founding member, Dottie. She's 95 and she's still with us. One of the things she said that really struck me, she, she just said, because I was doing some of the same things. I think I mentioned in a previous podcast that we had all this horrible kind of just really cheesy art, you know, was purchased and every room yeah. had a wallpaper border and had a really horrible art piece in it or several. Yeah. And I just started taking those down slowly. And Dottie, Dottie came and said to me, she was just like, hey, this is hard for us. I mean, imagine if your son moved into your house and just started redecorating. How yeah. would you feel about that? Yeah. And that put it in perspective that I didn't have. And I was just in my passion to kind of help the church look like it was not still stuck in the late 1970s, early 1980s. Right. I just was like, man, well, we've got to change this. And my preferred pace of change was much, much faster uh, than the congregation. Yeah. So that was good. Then another lady, she grew up in the church. She was the first baby in the nursery ever. And she was still there as a grandmother and had uh, some of her grandchildren in the church at the time. And she just said, you know, every time I drive up to the church, on the outside, it looks like the church I remember. But then when I come in this inside, it doesn't look like the church I remember. Yeah. And she said, that's very hard for me. She said it in such a grace-filled way yeah. that as a pastor, I was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I just didn't see that. I didn't understand that. And, you know, we get into a, a replant situation. We get so passionate and so wound up about things that have to, to change. We think about the outsider's view. And, and so I think we forget those who are inside the church, those who are supporting the work of the church, and those who are on board with revitalization or replanting and are supporting it by their tithes, by their serving, by their prayers. And I think we just, you mentioned a couple things. One is, you know, you got to cast a vision for it. You got to communicate and listen. And I think that the, the, one of the things I also heard you say is you got to build a team that's that's all on board for changing and understanding the why, uh, yeah. which is so critical. So, so I think in my own life, just a few changes, you know, as well. The perspective of the insiders of the longtime members was something I didn't have, yep. and, and I needed it. And again, I, boy, what a great comment! Changing the chandeliers is not really going to help us necessarily reach somebody for Jesus. It's not going to make a difference, right? Yeah. Because uh, I've never I've never heard somebody <laughs> say. I'm not accepting Christ until you change yeah. this career. Like, you know, but we get so, we get so preoccupied yeah. with, with that kind of thing. I think we, we waste our energy and our pastoral credibility yeah. in some ways. So one of the big mistakes that replanters are prone to make is to lead change in an unwise way. And it, it, it's not unbiblical and, it, and it's not make or break. And, and it probably needs to some things probably need to change, but you can, you can go about it in the wrong way. You can go about it in an unwise way. You know, for me in those moments, I forgot, I forgot that I was pastoring people and I was, I was managing property. Mm. Uh, 
Uh, you know, I, I went back into the meeting minutes and the sanctuary that we have when they were in their heyday in the late seventies, early eighties, they doubled the sanctuary. And I found in the meeting minutes, they, the, the city approved the permit to double the size of the sanctuary 10 days before I was born. Wow. Um, it was right there. I mean, literally same month right there as I was born, they were at their heyday. They were burst into the seams and needed more room. And, and man, they all made personal sacrifices to pay for those chandeliers and to rebuild that sanctuary and to rebuild that stage. And man, I, I just didn't pastor them well through that. I mean, they were so gracious to, I'd love to say that I learned completely from that and never made that mistake again, but it meant I didn't. I, I made the mistake again. We ended up relaunching with a new name, which is a whole nother stupid thing I did. And, and, <laughs> and survived we'll tell another day and when we did we relaunched on an easter sunday as redemption church and we had mentioned a few times before about updating the stage a little bit you know we had the typical older 1980s southern baptist stage with the white modesty walls and the chairs and the thrones up there and the lattice places for the organ speakers and, and we had talked about just modernizing it a little bit not even like super hip and cool but just a little bit and leveling out the stage and and we had talked about that a, a little bit over the years and so i thought i had done what i needed to do and so we got a team together and in one man a huge team of younger people and in, and in one week Man, we tore down the old stage, rebuilt the new one um, so we could launch on Easter Sunday with this cool new stage. And I'll never forget, Bob, it just a hard pastoral moment for me. A few Sundays after that, we're doing the Lord's Supper and we talk about examining your heart. And if you've got unforgiveness or unrepentant sin, dealing with that before you take the Lord's Supper. And one of the senior adult ladies came down and sat next to me with tears in her eyes and said, I have been so angry at you for changing the stage without talking mm. to us. Wow. And I, I need to repent of that and I need to forgive you. And I'm sorry for holding that anger against you, man. That, I get chills even remembering that moment. It hit me, man. I did it again. And, and it's, it's such a hard part of replanting because you'll have a younger crowd, man, and your newer people that are bought into the vision of where you're going, that they, they don't have the history of that church. And so they're, they're always in your ear, man, press the gas. Let's go further. Let's go faster, bigger, faster, stronger. Let's do it. And so they always feel there's always, I, at least I always feel this tension of like one segment of my church that always feels like I do everything way too slow. Mm -hmm. and there's a whole nother segment of my congregation that feels like I'm moving at light speed, man. It was a, it was a gut check for me when she said that and it showed me her spiritual maturity that she would even come and confess it in that way, the mm -hmm. way that she did it. Uh, and so I, man, I was in tears and I thought, I'm sorry that I haven't pastored you well through that. And, and Bob, I'd love to tell you that that lady is still at our church, but she decided she couldn't stick around anymore. And mm -hmm. she went to another church and I mean, I all, and I love that lady so much. And I always think about, man, I didn't have to lose her. I, I could have pastored better. I could have done a better job of caring more about being a pastor than, than having things look the way they need to. It doesn't mean you don't move things forward, but there's just, there's a wise way to do it. There's a way, there's a way that you shepherd it. Yeah, I think there, the mistakes, the declining and the dying church is we don't change anything because we don't want to lose anyone. Right. Then the, sometimes as a replanter, we might come in and say, we've got to change everything. And you end up losing a bunch of people that you don't necessarily have to lose. Right. And, and again, the, the issues are, they're not biblical issues. They're preferential issues. Right. But when we are not wise relationally, we burn bridges. And that burns an opportunity for us to be a pastor 
yeah. proclaim the gospel and it disrupts unity. So, I mean, uh, I think between us both, and I, you know, hearing you tell that story, I just think about the people who were hurt by and upset by changes that I was making that in the big scheme of things were not necessarily hypercritical to mission and they were more preferential. And the, again, I think we, we, there are changes that, that we should have made that need to be made, but maybe the pace that we went about making them was too fast and we could have slowed down a little bit. I, I think one of the things you, you've hit on is if you're a replanter and you've got people who have come with you to replant or joined you in the replant because they want to they see a church renewed and, and brought back uh, for the glory of God, they're going to push hard for that, right? Right. And they're going to feel like you're not changing fast enough. And you may have a preferred pace of change that personally you like, like you, like you, you want something, let's change something every Sunday like that. And you feel like your progress and that's life giving. Right. But it's struggle. It's a struggle for some people. And I think as a pastor, we're called not to uh, lead based on our preference, but lead as a pastor. Yep. And the, the shepherd has to not get out ahead of the sheep and run so far ahead that he loses them or that they don't know where to go or that they're fearful. Yep. He has to walk with them. They've always got to see them. He's got to be in their midst. He's got to be in the middle. He's got to be at the back. He's got to you know understand how are my people doing? And then uh, the challenge is by God's grace, keeping the flock together, moving in the right direction. So you don't want to lose people unnecessarily, but you don't want to run off and leave them either. Yeah. One of the things that makes replanting with that so difficult, I think it's also one of the things that makes replanting so beautiful. So we often think about, well, you've got to go into this older congregation and they've got all their preferences and we've got to get them to lay those preferences down. Those preferences can't be idols and they need to sacrifice those idols for the, for the purpose that God has for this church. But in that, we can forget that that's true for us too. Right. And that's, that's true. We have to lay down our preferences as idols and we can't try to create the church that we want. The same thing for that team or people that come in and buy into the vision and they want to be a part of it. And so it's one of the more difficult parts about replanting, at least to me, is, is pastoring people who, who want different things or different paces and, and their preferences are not only different at times, their preferences are even like contradictory. And so because the younger crowd or the newer crowd wants movement and progress, they think that their preferences are right. And it's my job to pastor them to also identify idolatry in their preferences and lay that down as well as in myself. And so it's one of the more difficult parts about replanting. But the reason I think it's so beautiful is replanting requires people to die to self mm -hmm. in a way that almost no other system of leading a church does. It, it, it requires everyone, everybody involved is going to have to die to self and, and identify idolatry, identify where they've put preference over purpose. It's easy to point the finger at the older congregation in that, but the newer people, younger people, whatever, the other people that want to move things fast, want to move things forward, often are just as guilty of that as well as you, Pastor. You got you to gotta work in your own heart and identify, am I wanting to push this because this is a personal preference or am I wanting to push this and lead in this because I think this is something God is leading us to do to better reach our neighborhood for the sake of Jesus Christ. Being a replanter is knowing that at times you're going to make decisions that may not make anybody fully happy. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and leading not in, in, in your preferences or anybody's preferences, but always, always leading your people to lay down that idol and, and serve the purpose that God has for that church where he has it. Yeah. Don't discount the, the fact that everyone is unsettled because when everyone's unsettled, what it means is that you're letting go of the things that you need to in order to, to follow God. 
And so if there's conflict in your replan, if there's this, this general state of, uh, man, we just, we're all kind of unsettled right now. That's a good thing because you're looking, you're, you're letting go of, you're no longer looking at the things that will give you comfort. And ultimately that'll free you up to where you can look at Jesus and follow yeah. him. All right. So to summarize for the guy out there beginning the replant, maybe he's already been changing some things and he's hearing this and he's going, Oh no. What would you, what would you have told me? Well, I think in your own history, here, here's some of the nuggets that I pulled. One is you got to cast vision for change and help people understand why. Then communicate about it over and over in multiple variety of venues, um, not just email, not just the newsletter, not just bulletin, but family meetings. You got to listen to people and let them have a voice yeah. in the change. And then here's, a, here's a, a, an important one. You've got to adjust, right? Adjust your plan. And then lastly, I think once you do that, it gives you the opportunity to build a team a group of people who are all together in unity uh, that would work towards the change. So I think all those, those elements were principal in your story uh, and in your, uh, in your personal account of uh, chandeliers and carpet and chainsawing a 30 foot pew. Hey, it's been a great episode. I've loved it. It's a lot of fun. No, this is good. Yeah, man, we would love to hear your stories. Of what are some stupid things you've done and survived and maybe even bring you on an episode and let you share it. And we always want to thank our sponsor, 180 Digital. Does your church need a new website or a logo? 180 is the ministry partner you need to help move your church forward. They've been working with churches and businesses for over 10 years and have solutions for churches both big and small. They also offer support options to help you run your website. Go to 180digital.com to learn more. And for Replant Bootcamp listeners only, if you'll let them know that you are one of our listeners, they'll give you a 20% off on any website or branding project. Just let them know that we sent you. 